Good morning, Rock Hill. Good to see you guys this morning. We had a great service at uh, 9 o'clock. Sometime in the past, we had a really great, great service, and uh, it's good to see you guys here today. Uh, thankful to be with you. Love your church. Love your pastor and his family. Grateful for all that God is doing here. Uh, I served on staff a long time ago at Coastline Baptist Church, where Matt and Katie came from to plant Rock Hill. We've loved to stand back and watch all that God is doing in this place. So thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for what you are part of. If you're visiting today. Please come back next week. You need to be here for Pastor Matt. Take your Bibles if you have them and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17. I'm going to look at one verse with you. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 17. We'll read this verse together. I will pray. We're going to look at this. So many great truths here. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. What a truth this morning. We're going to talk about this newness of life that we have in Christ. God, thank you for the opportunity to be here today. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for what we have already had the opportunity to participate in through uh, singing songs of worship to you. We thank you for the truth that you are the king and were the king on both sides of the stone, uh, in the grave, out of the grave, as you hung on the cross and died for our sins and conquering sin, conquering death, conquering the grave. We thank you that you are indeed the king for the new, new life that you've provided to us. Thank you for this truth. Thank you for this time together in Jesus' name. Amen. In uh, October of 1988, I was one month away from turning 12. A lot of young people here. How many of you were around in 1988? Okay, good. There's a couple of us. <laughs> Old people. I was uh, telling a friend this week, he, he was asking where I was going to preach on Sunday, and I said, Rock Hill, and we were talking about the church, and and uh, I said, one of the crazy things about Rock Hill is I feel so old when I go there because of the, everyone's so young, and uh, that's awesome. But in 1988, I was getting ready to turn 12, and at that time in my life, I cared about three things. Grew up here in Southern California. I only cared about three things. I cared about playing baseball, baseball fans. I cared about watching baseball, and I cared about the Los Angeles Dodgers. Got a fan in the back row back there, Los Angeles Dodgers. Uh, that is all I cared about. Now, I've become an old man, as I just mentioned, so I really have no idea what's happening in baseball anymore. I was going to be a professional baseball player. Any other one? Aspiring professional athletes? Yeah. And then I started actually playing and realized how hard it was, so uh, that quickly passed. But in 1988, that's all I cared about. I was consumed with playing baseball, watching baseball, the Los Angeles Dodgers, so it was a big deal that in that year they would eventually go to the World Series and win the World Series against the Oakland A's. Um, that was a moment that really changed my life forever. <laughs> it gave me an illustration for this message, so really happy about that. They were the underdogs all season and came into the National League Series as the underdogs, but they had a player on their team at the time, Kurt Gibson, who in many ways was credited with leading them to the championship, not only final, but winning that National League championship and finding themselves in the World Series uh, against the A's. And uh, that was an incredible time. Uh, that year, through some friends, I had the opportunity to have dinner with Oral Hershiser and Mike Sosha at Dodger Stadium. 
I just want you to know what a big deal this was to me, all right? So then Kirk Gibson takes the team to the World Series, and there they are. But in the process, and he, he was a grinder, if you ever watched him play, just a scrapper. And in the process of going through that National League Championship Series, he hurt himself. Not in one leg, but in two. A hamstring and a knee, so he was effectively out. First game of the World Series, the Dodgers were down by a, a couple of runs, and it was the bottom of the ninth. Kurt Gibson was nowhere to be seen, and everyone thought that he would not play in the series because he was broken. Now, he had become broken for a good reason, but he was broken, and broken people don't play in the game. That's just part of being broken. The story is this, that in the bottom of the ninth, there was one runner on base. Something needed to happen in order for the Dodgers to tie this game up and keep moving forward in the series. And although no one saw Kurt Gibson because he wasn't in the dugout, he was back in one of the training rooms uh, getting therapy on both of his legs. There was a trainer there trying to help him out. The story is that he was, as he was sitting there getting therapy, he was watching the game on TV, and he heard Vin Scully, the announcer, say, it's a shame that Kurt Gibson is out. He's broken and he can't play in this game. Now the story is he got so upset <laughs> that he crawled off the trainer's table, put on his uniform, and reported to Tommy Lasorda in the dugout. And if you've ever watched the video, and you can find the video, I would encourage you to watch it. Watch it over and over again, that's what I do. But if you watch it, he showed up in the dugout, the announcers made some commentary about, talked about him being in the dugout, and there's Kurt Gibson, and what is he doing here? And Tommy Lasorda put him in the game. He could barely walk. He hobbled up to the plate, and apparently what Tommy Lasorda said was, all we need is a, a little single. Just get it out of the infield. We've got a runner on base. We can tie this game, and we can continue on. We'll see what happens. Just power it over the infield. He got into the batter's box, kind of hobbled into the batter's box, and, and a couple of foul balls, some bad pitches. He found himself at the bottom of the ninth. He was the last guy to get an at-bat and he had a full count, so the next pitch matters. He says he remembered one of the scouts on the team uh, reminding the batters that every time Dennis Eckersley, who was pitching, had this crazy sidearm pitch, every time he was pitching, when he found himself in a full count, he would always throw what they call a backdoor slider. The ball would move, but they knew which direction it was going to move. If you watch the video, again, it's, it's, it's crazy to hear what they said about it and then watch it. Kurt Gibson steps out of the box. He said, I stepped out of the box because I could hear him in my head saying that, like he was standing there telling me what to expect. He got back in, and because he was having such a hard time standing, he was kind of leaning like this. Crazy. The ball came in. It was that backdoor slider he was expecting. He caught a hold of it and put it over the right field wall. An amazing moment in sports history. I don't know why you're not cheering or crying or something, but... Even if you don't watch baseball, you've seen the scene of Kurt Gibson running around the bases uh, giving that, that fist pump. It was unbelievable. You see, someone forgot to tell Kurt Gibson that he was broken. Everyone believed he was broken, and because he was broken, we all know that broken people, uh, they don't play in the game, but they forgot to tell him he was broken. He knew he was hurt. In fact, he knew that there were some people in his life he had to depend on. He had to depend on a manager that knew exactly when to put him in. He had to depend on a trainer who could get him back up, maybe not walking well, but at least walking well enough. He had to depend on a scout that gave him the right information that he could hear in his mind when that pitch came in. Everyone thought he was broken, but what he really was was dependent. He was dependent on the people that had the information he needed to succeed did. 
Good thing no one told him he was broken. Dodgers went on to win that series, in case you were wondering. In my own life, there are times that I have felt broken. And what I know about broken people is that broken people don't get to play in the game. But because of what others have said to me or done to me, because of things I've said or done to or about others, decisions I've made or failed to make, uh, leadership uh, decisions that I leaned into or, or held back from when I should have leaned in, traumas or hurts of the past, because of things going on in my life, there are moments when I have felt absolutely broken. The problem is broken people don't get to play in the game. It's interesting, as a Christian, and as a Christian who goes to church a lot, it's become something to say amongst Christians and Christian communities to, to say something like this, I'm just so broken. In fact, acknowledging brokenness and talking about brokenness is something that's become almost expected in Christian circles. There are songs written about it, messages delivered, books written about brokenness. And as Christians even, we can talk about brokenness. Have you ever read a verse in the Bible that ran afoul of your worldview? <laughs> Hopefully you have. Have you ever thought or felt something and then you came to the Bible and you read the words of Scripture and thought, well, either the Bible has it wrong or I have it wrong, but we don't have it the same. That's what this verse does for me, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. When I feel broken, when I feel overwhelmed, when I feel that pressure pushing down on top of me and I conclude that I just can't play in the game of life, the game that God has set before me because I'm just too broken, I read these words, therefore, if any man be in Christ, that is a Christian, a believer, someone that understands their need of a Savior, that has a relationship with God through what Jesus Christ did on the cross, that person who is in Christ, if any man be in Christ, he is what? A new creature. That's crazy. It's easy to pass over this verse. How often we read this verse, recite this verse, sing songs with this verse included. It becomes kind of churchy. If you're in Christ, you're a new creature. He goes on, though. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things. Don't act like your pastor here for a minute. Say All. I love listening to Matt preach. I love when he does that. All things. Not some things. Not a few things. Not current things. Not things in the future. All things become new. You know what the Bible is saying here? The Bible is saying regardless of how you may feel, what may have happened, what's in your past, what's uh, in your future, what you cannot see, what you are not sure to expect, regardless <laughs> in Christ, all things are new. I'm going to read a statement to you. If you get nothing else this morning, please get a hold of this. Those who are in Christ are not broken. Christ makes all things new. We are entirely dependent on God because of our frailty, but we are complete in him to do the work he has called us to. Stop acting broken and lean into the one who has made us whole. We're not broken. Dependent on God, of course. Dependent on the one who created us. Dependent on the one who has no limitations, but not broken. Let me give you three thoughts this morning. The first one is this. Brokenness 
is defeat. Brokenness is defeat. Now, it is possible to function while at the same time being broken. It's possible to go through life to get some things done while at the same time being broken. I've had vehicles like this. I have a truck sitting out in front of my house right now. I've owned it for almost 20 years. I love it. But I don't know anything about vehicles, so I haven't taken good care of it. I've been told that you're supposed to change the oil. And in about 20 years, I've, I've had the filter replaced, I think, twice, maybe three times. The good thing is it leaks so much that I just keep putting it in, and so it's fine. Yes, oh yes. And for 20 years, that truck has gotten me from point A to point B. I've done all kinds of things with that truck. Once you are willing to accept subpar performance, everything's fine. Here's the problem in the life of a Christian. God did not create us to experience or live in a subpar way. We can accept that if we want to. We can say, well, I'm just so broken, I'll continue to drag myself through life. We can do that if we want to. But the reality is that's accepting the subpar. That's accepting brokenness. And what we have to realize is that brokenness is defeat. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1. Ephesians 2, an incredible passage of Scripture. But in verse number 1, the Apostle Paul, the author, says this, And you hath he quickened, made alive, who were dead, trespasses and sins, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. That's not one of those encouraging verses. Most people don't have this on the refrigerator at home. (laughs) Children of wrath. I might have uttered those words as I saw my own kids running across. (laughs) Children of wrath. The Apostle Paul is saying that before God, before Jesus Christ in our lives, before salvation, we're all the children of wrath. What's being communicated here is that before Jesus, before all things become new, before we are that new creature or that new creation in Christ, We are entirely given, we could say that we are slaves to sin, to self, to lust, to our unbridled passions. Now, some of us are good at faking it, and some of us are good at pretending like everything's okay. But before Jesus Christ, we are dead. Brokenness is death. Brokenness is defeat. We're broken because of the, we are unable to have a relationship with God. and Therefore, we cannot experience victory in our lives. Why? Broken people, they don't play in the game. We see second, though, this morning. Brokenness may be defeat, but here's what we learn. Brokenness has been defeated. That's the truth of this verse. The Apostle Paul wrote those words in Ephesians 2 that tells us that we are quickened or made alive, that we were dead in our trespasses and sins, that we were the children of wrath. He writes those words. The same author is the one who writes the words in front of us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Here's what he's saying. Uh, death, 
defeat, that's found in brokenness. But when Jesus Christ comes into our lives, we are made entirely whole. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 54 gives us this path of defeat that brokenness experiences. I love 1 Corinthians 15. I say often that if there were only one chapter in the entire Bible, 1 Corinthians 15, it gives us everything we need. I'm thankful for the other chapters. I want to go on record as saying that. But I love it because the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, the beginning, he says, let me tell you what the gospel is. Apparently some of you aren't clear. He explains the gospel. He explains how we can be convinced of the gospel and the resurrection because Jesus Christ, when he was resurrected, was seen of more than 500 people. He then talks about the resurrection and why it's so significant that without the resurrection, we're all wasting our time. When Jesus died, he didn't stay dead. Because he's God, he defeated sin, death, and the grave. He rose again. And because of that, we have new life. That's all in 1 Corinthians 15. He then gets to the end of 1 Corinthians 15, beginning in verse 57, uh, 54, rather. I get excited. I start talking faster than my brain can work. Thinking faster than my mouth can work. <laughs> you know what I mean. Verse 54, he explains how this happens. So when this corruptible shall I put on incorruption, and this mortal shall I put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. Verse 57, but thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Brokenness is defeat. But brokenness has been defeated by the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And guys, if you are in Christ, you are a new creature. If you are in Christ, you are not looking for victory in your life or working toward victory in your life or walking or following or believing so that you can somehow attain victory. What you are doing if you are in Christ is moving from a place of victory. The victory has already been secured by our Savior. You're not broken. Dependent, yes, but not broken. Brokenness has been defeated. But what we find finally this morning, number three, is that dependence is victory. <laughs> there is victory when we understand our dependence on God. Kirk Gibson goes down in the annals of baseball history because there was a moment in his life as a professional that he realized he had put in the time, he had done the thing, but he was so hurt that he had to rely on other people. He was dependent, and so it is for those of us that seek to be what God created us to be. This is a counterintuitive truth. This is not what everyone is writing about in the self-help section of the bookstore. We feel as though we must do everything, and yet God says it's already been done. Trust me. We experience victory when we recognize our own limitations and hang on to the one who has none. This requires, however, 
something we don't like to even talk about, humility. <laughs> I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand if you are humble. Most of us think, I'm pretty awesome, but I could be awesomer. I'm just so humble. The Bible does use the word broken, and yet we misunderstand it. We think of brokenness as an inability to do what we were created to do. When the Bible talks about brokenness, it's talking about humility, brokenness of spirit. I'll give you an example. Psalm 51 and verse 17. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. Oh God, thou wilt not despise. Uh, This isn't I'm broken, I can't play in the game. This is I'm humble before a holy God. My pride has been broken. I've come to recognize it's not about me. Psalm 34 and verse 18. The Lord is near unto them that are of a broken heart and saveth such as be of a contrite heart. God comes near to those who are humble before him. By contrast, God is distant from those who think it's all about them. Love Isaiah 57, 15. For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. I love this verse because it says God who is high and lifted up, who dwells in the holies, does so with those who are of a humble heart, a humble spirit. It is easier so often to say, I'm just too broken to continue moving forward and to acknowledge we don't know everything. We need to depend on God. Dependence, it begins with humility, but then requires putting off. Chapter 4 and verse 22, that you put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. Put off the old man. The wording here is very important. The Apostle Paul, as he writes, says you need to make a decision and then take an action. You need to put off the old man. You need to decide to put off the old man and then take that action. We looked at this earlier in chapter 2 of Ephesians. Before Jesus Christ, we are slaves to sin. It has us bound. There's nothing we can do. It's only the shed blood of Jesus uh, that breaks that bondage and gives us freedom and newness of life. After Jesus, however, we now have a choice. We can decide to hang on to what is back here if we want to, but it's a decision we're making to continue hanging on. Why is it that so often we say, I want to go that direction, but I can't get there? Maybe it's because we're looking there and holding on to this here. It's as if we're sitting in a jail cell and the door is open. (laughs) We've made a decision to stay inside even though we could walk out and the whole time saying, I'm stuck here. I have nowhere to go. Paul says, put off the old man. Don't do that anymore. Ephesians 5, 8, for ye were sometimes darkness, but now ye are light in the Lord. Walk as the children of light, 
For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but, what, but rather reprove them. You come to Jesus Christ exactly as you are. You don't clean up before you come to Jesus. You don't fix stuff before you come to Jesus. You don't get right before you come to Jesus. You come to Jesus and say, Jesus, I am who I am. I cannot do this on my own. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works lest any man should boast. It has nothing to do with you. The next verse, however, tells us that we are saved unto love and good works. Check this out. You're nothing without Jesus Christ. But Jesus didn't save you so that you could hang on to this junk back here. He saved you so that you would be free. to Do what he has uniquely created and called you to do and to be. See, we need to put off. It's only half the equation. We then need to put on Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 23 and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Isn't that great? Romans 12, 1 and 2. If you don't have these verses memorized, you need to memorize them. The Apostle Paul, he's writing to a group of Christian people. We know this because he calls them brethren. These are Christian people. He starts off with these words, I beseech you. Paul, speaking to Christian people, starts off by saying, I am begging you. Now, we talk about apostolic authority and who the apostle Paul was and the authority of scripture given by God. And in all of that, Paul is saying, look, there's an answer. That mouthpiece of God <laughs> looks in the faces of people that he loves and says, I'm begging you. I'm begging you. I'm begging you. I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. He starts by saying, I'm begging you to do this. Why? Because Christian people saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, still hanging onto their past, they need to move forward. Paul, he's done this. He's experienced this. He's done the bad. He's experienced the good. He's made some decisions he's not proud of. He talks about that often. He has gone forward in spite of that for the glory of God. He says, I'm moving beyond my past. And in all of it, he looks at people who are stuck. He says, I am begging you, live your life as a sacrifice to God. And oh, by the way, that's reasonable. It's your reasonable service. Be not conformed to this world. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. There's a putting off. I'm not going to go back there anymore. There's a putting on. I mentioned this in the first service, and I'll say it again now. If we're not careful, a lot of this can sound like a works-based type of life. It's not what we're talking about. As Daniel mentioned, I work with veterans, active duty service members, first responders, a lot of folks dealing with trauma. Trauma related to their service, a lot of it's trauma related just to their lives. Many of the folks that we deal with, because of what has happened in their life, they've then made a series of bad decisions that have led to addictions and other destructive behaviors. That's where I live. 
I understand that there are things that we invite into our life that become habitual and that are not as easy as saying, well, I'm just going to stop doing that and move on. I get that. But moving on begins with an understanding that you're not broken. Regardless of how you feel, regardless of decisions that you may have made and things that you may have brought into your life, you're not so far gone, you're not so broken that God can't use you. But you need to put off the old, and sometimes that requires, I would say most of the time that requires getting the right people around you. The local church is God's plan. Why? Because we need to be together, to study the word of God together, to sing praises of worship to God together, to fellowship together, to get into small groups so we can talk about what's going on in our lives and have the right people around us to encourage us through that. We can't do this on our own. We shouldn't do it on our own. If you're stuck, you need people in your life. But none of that says that you are broken. You're dependent. You're dependent on God and the methods that God has set before us, which include being together. Yet with all of that, people will say, well, this sounds very legalistic. In order to experience the newness of life, we not only need humility and putting off and putting on, but we need abiding in. There are people that unfortunately have concluded that the Christian life is about rules and checklists and all kinds of stuff. Here's how Jesus said it. Here's how Jesus sums up the Christian life. Chapter 15 and verse 4 of John. Abide in me. That's it. (laughs) Now listen, when we're abiding in Christ, there are some things that are going to change in our life. We're not changing those things so that Jesus will love us. We're changing those things because he loves us. Jesus said to his disciples, Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can ye, except ye abide in me. We need to abide in our Savior. That is to walk with our Savior, to have a growing, going relationship with Jesus Christ. Abide in. Chapter 16 and verse 11. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. Love it. Abiding Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6, a verse I quote often and come back to often, talks to us about faith. You know what faith is, very simply? Faith is taking God at his word and then living our life according to it. I don't know who said that, but what a great summation of faith. Romans chapter 10 tells us that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So faith is knowing what God said in his word and then just accepting it as true and living our life as though it's true. You don't have to see the end from the beginning. You don't have to have it all figured out or understand every aspect of it. You simply need to believe that God will keep his word. That's the abiding life. It's saying, God, I don't know how all of this works, but you're going that way, I'm going with you. Hebrews 11.6 says that without faith, we can't please God. Why is that? Because that without faith, we're only as good as we'll ever be. 
It is only in trusting God, putting our faith, our confidence, our hope, our assurance in God that we will be what he wants us to be. That's so much more than we would ever be alone. You're not broken. But at those times when you do feel broken, you need to realize it's not brokenness you're feeling. It's an absolute dependence on God, your creator. If you were to watch that video of Kirk Gibson hitting that home run, and I encourage everyone to go watch it. You get emotional if you're anything like me. I don't cry much, but that'll do it for me. <laughs> if you watch that, you'll hear the commentator who is um, doing the play-by-play, Jack Buck. He, he watches this happen, and they had already given some commentary about it, and Kirk Gibson and all that, this, how crazy this is. That ball, it, it goes off his bat. It's the craziest trajectory. goes over the right field wall, and Jack Buck says, I can't believe what I just saw. You know what happens when Christian people stop living in brokenness and instead live in dependence on a God who loves them and has equipped them to do all he's called them to do? You know what happens? The people around them, they look and say something like, I can't believe what I just saw because they're not seeing you. Seeing God's working through you. That's a victorious Christian life. Those who are in Christ are not broken. Christ makes all things new. We are entirely dependent on God because of our frailty, but we are complete in Him to do the work He called us 